0: Some of you probably thought I was going to call in sick today, and you were hoping I wouldn't, but I wore red, not giving in totally, I'll accept defeat, but that's it. If you're, if you're a guest with us today, I do want you to know that we're going to have a meal after church, and we're going to have a good time. We like to, to smile at each other here. We like to laugh and give each other a hard time a little bit. Sometimes if it wasn't for the hard time, you wouldn't get anything. Just going to let you know. Makes you appreciate the hard time you get. And so, anyway, we're going to have a meal after church, uh, and you're certainly invited. Everybody's invited. I know some of you will be able to stick around. Some may not, but I hope you will. I hope you'll join us, and we've got lots of good food, and it'll be a good time, and and I think uh, I think you'll enjoy it. If you are a guest with us, I did forget to mention earlier, we'd love to know that you were here, and you can fill out the worship registration that's there in your bulletin. And, and I'll be standing at this door today when we leave, and you can hand that to me. Let me know if, you, if you've if got any questions about our church. I know some folks come, and they're, they're hunting for a church, if you will. They're looking for a place they can call home. And I always tell folks, if that's you, and Elm Grove winds up being the place, great. Let me help you figure that out. And if not, if you say, I, you know, I'm just not sure, then, let me know, and we'll help you figure that out. And so I uh, really do mean that. But uh, anyway, it's going to be a good day, and we're looking forward to uh, this uh, the meal today and having the opportunity in a little bit to pray for Brent and Jill. We're going to be uh, commissioning them, if you will, sending them out as missionaries here in our community as they start a new church uh, not far from the town square. And so uh, Lord knows we we need as many folks uh, as we can, sharing the good news of Jesus wherever and and however we can go about it. And so uh, they've been called by God to go and partner with that ministry, and so we're excited. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get going. God, we're thankful uh, that you are meeting here with us, that you came ahead of us, that you are here, uh, Lord, that, and you'll leave with us. We thank you that um, this isn't the only place where you are. And so, uh, Lord, in the next few moments, we do ask that you would stir our hearts, wake us up, help us to understand, change our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would change us individually, but God, just as much, and if not more, we pray you'd change us as a church. Lord, help us not to just live live out our faith in isolation, but Lord, as a, as a church, as a body of believers in Christ here, we pray that we'd be different as well. We thank you again in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, some of you Friday night were really, really excited. But I I will say that that those of you who are really, really excited, you're also shocked. I mean, you you were floored because the way that it looked earlier in the season, I heard you. Well, Kentucky's done. (sighs) I tell you, this one and done stuff, I just, I don't know about it. Get these guys, they only play a year... They move on. It just doesn't work. And then they beat Louisville Friday night. Oh, I tell you what, that Calipari, he's something else. Man. (laughs) Great coach. You know, he uses that one-and-done system. Boy, he's really done a good job. Now, listen, I won't call you a bunch of hypocrites, but I'm just going to (laughs) say, shocked. Shocked you were. But, you know, it's interesting if you remember a couple of weeks ago, of course, Kentucky sort of, they played well in the SEC tournament, but in all of their whole body work, they sort of limped along this year. I mean, let's be honest. They just didn't play as well as we thought they were going to play. And Calipari mentions in the press there's going to be a tweak or two made. And he really doesn't say what that tweak or two is going to be. He just says we're going to tweak a few things. And it's interesting that it seems to me that whatever he has decided he was going to tweak, the players bought into, they decided, you know what, maybe he's right. Maybe doing our own thing all year long hasn't worked. Maybe we need to listen to what the coach is actually telling us. And it seems as if, that, though they limped the whole season and came into the tournament as an eight seed, that they have figured it out and are now playing, at least as we can tell, to their potential. Now, of course, if they go on and win the tournament, some of you will say, I knew all along. But everybody will be a little bit surprised at least. But it's interesting how they have figured out that we're going to buy into what our coach is talking about. And, of course, they're playing to their potential. And if you're shocked that they're good and you haven't been paying attention, those guys are good. They're talented. I, I always ask myself, and this is how it relates to Kentucky basketball. I ask myself when I preach a sermon, why do I need to preach this? Honestly. Why do you need to hear it? Why should you listen? Well, I came to church. I'm going to listen to the sermon. No, no, honestly, why should you listen to the sermon? I, I hope that each week, I, I, I help you see here's why we needed to hear this. Here's what God wanted to say. But I, I think that much like those guys playing for Kentucky this year, I think that many churches, our church included, has the potential to just easily be known for what has been done in the program in the past you know, those guys show up at Kentucky, they've got Kentucky on the front of their jersey, and they say, well, Kentucky's the greatest college basketball program in the history of college basketball. Look at me, I'm associated with Kentucky. That's good enough for me. Some churches will say, well, you know, this has happened, and that's happened in the past, and that's enough for us. We just look back to the glory days. Some folks, maybe playing for Kentucky, say it's just good enough for me to generally be associated. Say, you know, once upon a time, I I played for Kentucky. Well, did you contribute to the program much? Well, let's talk, not talk about that. I once played for Kentucky. Some churches are content to say, well, we're we're generally associated with Jesus Christ. Well, did you did you help contribute to the kingdom of God? Well, we're, we're generally associated with Jesus Christ. Isn't that good enough? Some folks that play for Kentucky will say, well, I wore the jersey, but I never really experienced it. But I never really bought in. I never really gave myself to what That program was all about. And I think some churches say, yes, we love the Lord, but never really experience Him. I don't want that to happen at Elm Grove. Kentucky basketball needed just a few tweaks. And maybe today for us, this is just a little bit of a tweak, a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of an encouragement, if you will, from what Paul is going to tell us. Because the last thing that I want to have happen is what you don't want to have happen to your favorite college basketball team, and that is to sort of slip off into irrelevance and ineffectiveness. I don't want to see that here at Elm Grove. Now you may be scared right now. Well, is he is he saying that to where we are? No, I'm not saying that. But if we're not careful, we'll get there real quick. Y'all know that. Turn with me if you would. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. We're going to be in verses twelve to eighteen today. Let me catch you up real quick. Paul is a guy who's writing this letter to a church in a city called Philippi, a really important city. And if you've been here, you've heard me say this. If you haven't, I'll catch you up. It's a really important city during the time in Eastern Asia. And it's the easternmost part, really, of the Roman Empire, and it's a very important city for travel and trade and so on. And Paul planted a church there. He started a church about 10 years before he wrote to these folks in response to a gift that they had given him. And an inquiry that they made, Paul, how you doing? They had heard that things hadn't gone too well for him, which was accurate. He was currently, when he's writing the letter, chained to a Roman soldier on house arrest. And so he doesn't have all of his freedoms. And he's under the threat of this trial that's coming up that could result in the removal of his head, the ending of his life. They wrote to him, or at least inquired about him, sent him some financial support, and he's writing back to say thank you for that Here's how I'm doing. And as a good pastor, he's also going to teach them some stuff along the way. What he's told them so far, we saw toward the end of of chapter 1 in Philippians, that he wants them to live both individually and he's writing to a church. We have to understand he's applying this to their church, not just to them individually. He's applying this to them as a whole. He wants them to live in a manner that's worthy, that, that reflects the gospel of Jesus, that reflects the important message that they say they believe. And so that's where we still are. How does this get lived out in the church? And so that's where we'll sort of pick it up today. He's already talked, we saw last week, about having the attitude that Jesus had. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he applies that even further. Look at it, verse 12. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I want to start sort of from the, the bottom and work our way back to the top for just a minute. If, if you would, look with me real quick again at verse, the end of verse 16, the second half of verse 16 through verse 18. This kind of gives you Paul's motivation. Here's what he's going for. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. That first part there, he's just wanting to make sure that the work that he has done in and among the Philippians isn't for nothing. I mean, nothing you do, you want to say, well, I hope this is just pointless. I'm going to do this, but I really don't care if it amounts to anything. He says, I don't want to run for nothing as if I'm running a race and I get to the finish line and realize there was no race at all. There's no prize to be won. There's nothing, there's no reward for having done what I've done. And he also says, I don't want to labor for nothing in the sense that as a farmer, that's the illustration here, he doesn't want to plant a crop and not see it grow. I mean, my father-in-law is a farmer. And I, and I know how frustrating it is for him, and many of you here do the same thing, when you plant something and it doesn't grow, or it doesn't grow like you think it should, or it gets washed out or whatever, it's frustrating. Paul says, you know, I, I don't want to have that happen. I, I, I want to be able to stand before Jesus one day and say, look, what I put myself to, what I, what I gave myself to for those Philippians, it worked. I have something that I can stand before Christ and present to him and say, hey, this is this is what I was about. And he's not talking about stealing glory from Jesus and all that. Just understand that Paul just wants at the end of his life, when he stands before the Lord, to say, you know, Philippians, what we all work toward, it actually produce something. I don't want to run or labor for nothing. He just wants to make sure that those churches that he has planted, his only desire for them is that Jesus is formed in them. In fact, in Galatians, he makes mention, he says that he is like a, like a mother in childbirth, laboring until Christ is formed in you, he writes to them. That's all Paul wants. He says, it's painful. I'm working at it. I want to see it. But that's the only thing that I care about is that Jesus Christ is formed in you. So that's his goal for the churches. He just wants to stand before Jesus, that one desire that he has, that they become like Jesus, that the Lord continues his work in them, and that they partner with the Lord in what he's doing. And at the end of his life, Paul says, that'll be good enough. Even he says if I am poured out as a drink offering, even if it costs me. Now, this is a kind of a a hint toward the fact that there's a chance, Paul knows, that he could lose his life in this effort. He, He understands he's on house arrest for a reason. He's awaiting trial that may not end well for him physically. But he says, you know what, no matter what, it's worth it to me if you, church, become what God wants you to become. It's worth it to me if... Even if I sacrifice, even if I'm poor, even if I lose my life, over it's worth it if you become like Jesus. Now, I can relate to Paul. Those of you who, who are parents, grandparents, and you've got folks that you're raising, you, you can relate to Paul. I can relate to Paul as a pastor because I'll tell you this, I have no desire to come and preach and to serve the church for nothing, for to amount of nothing at all. Honestly, if it's going to amount to nothing, I'd rather do something else. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it is amounting to nothing, but I just be gut level honest with you. I'd rather go do something else. Because you know as well as I know that what you put your hand to that's worth it is not always easy. It's hard. And it's painful. It's like raising kids or having grandkids. You just want to see something in them. It's tough. And as a pastor, I can relate to Paul. And I will say this, that my one desire, my only goal for Elm Grove Baptist Church is that we become like Jesus. That's it. I honestly don't care if the pews are full and packed and we've got to put chairs out. And we, I, I, it, That's not my main goal. Now, if that's the result of us becoming like Jesus, and we'll figure it out, and we're going to love the Lord along the way, but I just want us to become like him. I mean, I can relate to Paul. I get that. I don't, I don't want to get to the end of my life in ministry and say, well, I, that was pointless. Who does? I mean, nobody here wants to say, well, I just want to be a part of Elm Grove for absolutely no reason at all. I just hope that whatever I do, it really doesn't matter there. You know, I, I want to teach Sunday school and have nobody listen. I, I want to go, go set up for a fellowship and have people not talk to each other. I hope we serve a meal and nobody eats it. I mean, honestly, I mean, it sounds crazy. The point is, Paul doesn't want that either, nor should you. And he says, let's share joy together. Look at the end of of 18. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's let's share joy back and forth. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Let me tell you this, Elm Grove. As we move forward, if we apply this sermon today, it's not always going to be easy. It's, It's really not. But if we're together, And we're sharing the joy of Christ back and forth. I think we can kind of have the relationship that Paul and the church had that we just encourage one another back and forth. No, it's not easy. And yes, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to be difficult. But Paul just says, look, let's just continue to exchange the joy of Jesus Christ because there are going to be times when I'm frustrated, times when you're frustrated, times when life for you is not good, life for me is not good, he says. And so let's continue to encourage each other. He'll know that his work among them was not wasted, that his sacrifice was worth it, if, and this is where we go back to the top, if they will apply what he's just written before all this. That's his motivation. I just want to see Jesus formed in you. I just want you to love him. I want to make sure that what I do is not pointless. That's his motivation, and we'll work back toward the top. Essentially, what Paul is going to tell them today in this letter is that, church, you just need to be who you are. You're different, so just be different. And he'll explain what that's about. The motivation for being different, for continuing to be who they already are and be different is really summed up in in what Paul gives to us in verses 12 through the first part of 16 is, is the word that I want you to get this morning summarized basically this. He was writing to the Philippians and through the Holy Spirit we have his message to get on board with what God wants to do in and through us. The simple message today, as we'll see as we work through this, get on board with what God wants to do in and through us. The question I'll just come back to, just so you know, is are you on board? Now, I've been in enough churches to know that a lot of times that question is loaded. The pastor asks the question, are you on board with what God's doing at this church? basically means you're on board with whatever I want to do. I mean that, that's the truth. I, I've served churches where that's that's it. Are you all in? I've heard that before. I don't care if you're on board with what I want to do. let me be honest. If you're on board with what God wants to do, then we can work with that. Because the truth is, I don't need to be on board with just what I want to do. <laughs> I need to be on board with what God wants to do. Verse 12, look at it. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence. So Paul says, look, you've always obeyed the Lord. You've done it when I was there. You've now done it even more when I've not been there. He just says, keep on obeying. You've, you've always obeyed. You, you're obeying now. You, you're not doing it because I'm, I'm pressuring you or because you're obligated to me. You're doing it because you love Jesus. That's the core of obedience, Not because I tell you to. Not because I'm going to catch you doing something wrong. Because you love Jesus. Young people, hear me on this. Don't just live for Jesus out of some obligation to your parents or grandparents or to this church. I hope that there's some healthy accountability and and it helps you with with your walk with the Lord. But live for the Lord because you love Jesus. Because if not, then you're running in vain. then then your life really is pointless. If you don't love Jesus, and it really doesn't matter, you can be the best person in the world, you can be that good guy everybody knows and loves and counts on. But if you don't love Jesus, it's pointless. Paul says, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not there. He says, you've been a great church, keep going. And then he says in verse 12, the end of it, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the part of getting on board with what God wants to do in us. Now, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul has already said, look, I'm confident that what God has begun in you, he will be faithful to complete. God is going to continue to work in you. He brought salvation to the Philippians, and God's going to continue to work. And now what he lets them know is that they have a part to play in that continued spiritual growth. Now, notice what it's not saying. This is not working for salvation. Make no mistake, none of us can earn salvation. You can't be good enough that God says, well, everybody else has got to go through Jesus, but... You're pretty good. You get to come on into heaven. It's fine. You didn't go through Jesus, but you're so good. Oh, you're just so wonderful and so friendly, and everybody loves you, and you did so much good for humanity. Come on in. This isn't about working for salvation, because even that person who's so friendly and loving and working for humanity still needs Jesus, and without Jesus dies a sinner condemned by God in hell. Like it or not, that's the truth of Scripture. You can blame me if you want to and get mad at me, that's fine. God wrote it, God said it. Ultimately, the issue is with him, not with me. So this isn't about working for salvation. Just be good, just be better. This is about being diligent to grow after salvation. The emphasis is on them together. As I said, this is a letter to a church, not to an individual. And it's important for us to know in Americanized Christianity. We love everything individually. But he's writing to them together, and so this is a letter. This is something for us to understand. Yes, it applies to us individually, but first it applies to us together. They had to get on board as a group. They had to be giving themselves to God's agenda. Paul just wants them to know spiritual growth in the church is not automatic. Becoming a spiritually focused, mission-minded church is not automatic. Just because we get together on Sundays does not necessarily mean that we are doing what God wants us to do. You know that. I had a conversation recently with somebody, and they were struggling with a particular attitude, and I just said, look, you just need to, to pray about that, ask the Lord to help you, start there. And the response was, I've already done that, and nothing happened. Okay. I said, well, okay, I get that. I said, but you know what? You've got to put into practice some of the things that God says. This isn't law. This is still grace. The grace gives you the, the ability to do it, but, but you know, spiritual growth isn't automatic just because we say we love Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're just going to become like Jesus there's some practices some disciplines that maybe we need to build in and so paul says the effects of salvation post salvation must be worked out it must be worked on and then he says it must be taken seriously he says work it out in fear and trembling it must be taken seriously our christianity our our togetherness as a church Your walk with the Lord, our relationship with Him is never to be casual, just flippant. Eh, doesn't matter. We're founded on the death and the resurrection and the coming return of Jesus Christ. Those are heavy things. There is nothing more important in world history than those things. That's what we're founded upon. And so we must take him, his word, and his return very seriously. When we gather together as a church, this isn't a show. It's not a club. It's not some form of entertainment or even a social gathering. We're a local church commissioned by Jesus for one purpose, and that is to join him in his mission of redemption in the world. That's it. That's the only reason we exist. Now, I realize that some maybe are on the journey to understanding that, and I'm not going to condemn you if you say, you know what? I come to church because I've got lots of friends there. I'm glad you're here, but I want you to know the truth that we don't exist just to have friends in church and just to have people we can talk to that see the world similar to the way we do. We exist together to partner with the Lord on his mission. That's it. And if we're about anything else, if any church is about anything else, then we are a social gathering, just a club. Paul says, look, that's not what we are. Get on board with what he wants to do. With fear and trembling, take it seriously. And then he says, verse 13, For it is God who is working in you, about getting on board with what he wants, working in you to conform you to be like Jesus Christ, both enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose, get on board with what he wants to do through us. It's for his good purpose, for his pleasure. It won't always be for ours. It's for his will and his mission and his glory not for hours, And I'll say this, the mission of God, what he wants to do through us will always keep us moving forward, not looking back and longing for the good old days. That's hard. You know, there, there's some things about the good old days we wish we could come back. Life was simpler. It just it seemed a little more reasonable and manageable. And But some of you remember no running water. There's some things about the good old days, just leave in the good old days. You know, when when you're walking with the Lord, both individually and as a church, you get on board with what he wants to do through you. It constantly moves you forward. God is a God, yes, of the past and the present, but he's a God of the future. He's going to move us forward to what he wants us to do both today and tomorrow. Get on board with what God wants to do in and through us. They've always obeyed. Paul wants them to continue. They've seen great days, and yet there are greater days ahead of them. I'll say this to us. Because Jesus is alive, our greatest days are always, always ahead of us. Not behind us. Always ahead. Do we have great days behind? us? Yes. are there things to learn from the past? Has this been a great church for 160 some odd years? Absolutely, but guess what? <laughs> greater days are ahead. And I'm not saying that as a pep talk. I'm just simply saying that because it's true. Because Jesus is alive, not because we've got some cool program we're going to implement, just watch out in the fall, it's going to be great. I'm saying because Jesus is alive, our best days are ahead of us, individually and together. They are ahead of us. The question is, are, are we on board with what God wants to do in and through us? if we committed ourselves to that, I'd love to, I'm going to preach this a little bit longer, but I'd love to close right now with the invitation and just say, will you commit to whatever God wants to do in and through us? Will you do it? And it begins with you, but it affects all of us. Will you commit to what God wants to do in and through us? Maybe you'd say, yeah, I I do. (laughs) And for the first time, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd say, you know, I just, I, I, it's time for me to join the church. Well, what does church membership mean? Well, in today's world, not as, maybe, not as much maybe as it once meant. Yeah, you get voting rights and all that kind of stuff. But you know what it is? Church membership is saying, you know what, this is where I'm going to plant my life and I'm going to contribute to the work of God's kingdom through this local body with my brothers and sisters and we're going to walk this road together. No matter what happens, what church membership is about. Do I have to join the church to be a Christian? No. Does joining the church make me a Christian? No. But maybe today you'd say, you know what, in the service, I, I just want to talk to you about it. I'll tell you what I normally do. I Folks who want to join the church, I try to get together with them. I may have known them for years. I may have just met them. I just try to get together with them and say, let, let me tell you, here's what this means. Hopefully that helps. Maybe more than that, you just say, I just want, I'm going to commit to getting on board in my life and in the life of this church with whatever God wants to do in and through us. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it means, but I know my best days, our best days are ahead. I know Jesus is alive, and I'm good with that. That's it. Blank check. Will you sign a blank check this morning? Two crucial steps, and maybe I should have given these before I asked you to sign the blank check. Two crucial steps to get on board with what God wants to do in and through us. First, we got to get the house in order. Get the house in order. Verse 14. Paul's told him, you got to be on board with what God wants to do in and through you. Working out that salvation, making sure we're continuing to grow. God's working in us, He's going to work through us. And here's what it looks like for God to work in us, getting the house in order. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Now, you would think there would be something super spiritual that Paul would throw in. You need to let God work in you, in and among you. So what does he say? Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop arguing. The word there, grumbling, actually simply... Means how it sounds, onomatopoeia. They say is how that is. That's the 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 literary and the English and the grammar term for that. Grumble simply means grumble, 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 grumble. That's what grumble means. And you've heard it. Oh, you've heard it from your kids. And you know, oh, you hear it from people. If you're a school teacher, you hear it from them all the time. Grumble, 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 grumble. It's that little murmur in the background. It's a collective sigh. Why do we have to do this? That's what grumbling is. You get the idea? Now, I realize that none of us ever hear, we never do that. That's what Paul says. You want God to work in you, you got to stop. You got to stop. He says, stop grumbling and stop arguing. You know what that is? Just nitpicky questioning all the time. Why are we doing this? Nobody asked me. I don't know. I'll tell you, that guy, pastor, he's from Louisville. You got to watch out for people like that. (laughs) It's just a constant little nitpicky questioning. You realize that as we move forward with the Lord, it's it's not always going to be perfect as we can make it. I mean, God's perfect. We're not. So it's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to go your way or my way. It won't always be your idea. You know, some of us are on board as long as it's our idea. It's not always going to be my idea. But even in all of that, Paul tells us none of us has the right nor the privilege of being critical for the sake of being critical. Now, I realize that some, when you got saved, you said, God gave me the spiritual gift of criticism. You find it somewhere, I think, in 1 Corinthians. I think you dig around. I'm not sure where you find it. Oh, I just got the gift of criticism. I just see it the opposite way. I'm the devil's advocate. We don't need a devil's advocate here in church, do we? Now, I will say that we can have biblical discussions on issues, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love that kind of stuff. But the truth is that most churches don't have discussions and disagreements over merely biblical issues personal preference issues most of the grumble 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 questioning complaining happens because I don't like that that's not how I would do it I don't think that's the right thing nobody asked me what I think we can have healthy biblical discussions but when we join together as a church, guess what? We check our personal preferences, if you will, at the door, mine included. I've been here now for five and a half years, just over that. I came with a load of personal preferences. I'll just, I'll, I'll let me tell you real quick, all right? You, you got time? Okay, good. Let me tell you real quick. You're hungry, so I just keep you know... My home church is a huge, huge church. When I was there, they had 2,700 people in the church. Two That's 2,700. That's a lot of people. Now, some say, oh, well, there's no way God can move in a church that big. It just did. God was moving in that church. It was a great church. Lots of, lots of people. The, the music was extremely contemporary, if you will. Band, the whole deal. At one point, they had a full orchestra playing. I went from there to a church in Atlanta, Georgia, that took it to a whole new level as far as contemporary was concerned. This church was about 900 to 1,000 people met in a high school cafeteria. You talk about different. That was different. The music, just so you know, and some of you will be completely offended by this, and I think I probably am too, but the music, the music was way over the top. They, they hired professional musicians to come and play on stage. The drummer didn't even speak English, he's just a good drummer. Now, I'll tell you this. I have come from those two churches, and guess where I came to next? Elm Grove Baptist Church. (laughs) Nothing like those two churches at all. I came with a whole load of personal preferences. When I came here, I was 31 years old. I'm not 31 anymore, but I'm not old, old yet, if you understand what I mean. But I tell you what, God has done so much in my life in five and a half years as a pastor of this church. My family can attest to that. My wife in particular can attest to how, how much God has done in my life. And I'll tell you what, now you know what means so much less to me than it ever meant? Personal preferences. Do we have a full band and an orchestra playing? Do we have 2,700 people coming here? Do we have a huge building? No, You guess. You, let me just tell you how much that concerns me now. I'm not saying that to my credit. I'm saying when God starts to work in and through you, that stuff goes out the window. And all you care about is, are we becoming like Jesus Christ? I don't, say, like I, said, I don't say any of that to my own credit. Because left to myself, you know how I'd operate on personal preference? I'd be angry all the time. That's not the way I want to do it. It's not the way it should go. Just telling you, God has done a tremendous work in my life. I, I want to see that continue in my own life, and I want to see us share that together. I don't know what it'll look like if God begins to work in and through us and we get on board. I have no idea. I tell you that, and you probably think, yeah, hey, you got some idea. No, I don't really don't. I don't care. I just want God to do something. I want him to use us. Why not us? We got to get the house in order so that we can be blameless and pure, so when people look at us. They don't say, well, I know those folks. Yeah, they act friendly, but let me tell you about them. No, when they look at us, they say, you know, you're talking about Elm Grove? I tell you what, that's the, the, the most loving, God-fearing bunch of people I've ever seen. in my life. I can't say a single thing about them that's bad. I can't say it. Now, those other churches, you know, I don't know, but I'm telling you what, that church, I can't say a single thing. That's what we ought to be about. This isn't about perfection. This is about a genuine and completely committed group of people just following Jesus. There's a great scene from Field of Dreams, if you've seen that movie. And if you know the story, then you know that there's a farmer who hears voices out in the field. If you build it, he will come. And so he levels his cornfield, and he builds a baseball field. I mean, he heard from God, no question. And he builds a baseball field... <laughs> He builds a baseball field in Iowa. And throughout the whole movie, he's frustrated because he's just not sure, is this the right thing? And, and finally, at the end of the movie, there's a guy he would brought along on his journey named Terrence. Terrence is an author. And finally, at the end of the movie, he tells Ray, the farmer, he says, Ray, you just got to keep the field. You got to take care of it. You got to make sure it's exactly the way it needs to be. And guess what, Ray? People will come. They'll come to Iowa, and they won't even know why. And it's so great. The music starts, and it pans out, and all you see are headlights lined up for miles. People just coming to Iowa to this baseball field. They're just drawn to it. You know, I wish I could tell you that if we just get the house in order and we just do church the right way, that people are going to line up for miles to come to Elm Grove Baptist Church. But Field of Dreams is a movie. And we live in a real world today that doesn't necessarily mean if we just have a better church, people are automatically going to come. You know why? Because first, yes, we've got to get the house in order, but second, then we got to get out of the house. we got to get the house in order, but well, then we've got to get out of the house. Look what Paul goes on to say. Verse 15, blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless, where? In a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world the philippians lived in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation people going the wrong way not caring anything about god sinful through and through guess what it's our world today that's it the same world different effects of sin longer time for it to build up and play out but it's the same thing we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation now we can grumble, grumble, complain all we want to about that generation, but Paul tells the Philippians that's who you are, and you're in that generation, and you shine like stars. You realize our temptation is always to retreat from that, and there's there's some healthy and holy desire, I think, to make sure that we're not stained, as James says, be unstained by the world. Yeah, okay, I don't I don't want to get involved to where I give myself to those things. But you know, Jesus didn't tell us to retreat. He told us to advance. He said that when he built his church in Matthew 16, the gates of hell could not withstand it. You know what? Gates don't advance. They're a defense. The church is to be on the offensive in this world. And it's not onward Christian soldiers. We're fighting. We're onward with the mission of Jesus Christ to see the world change from the inside out, not from the outside in, the inside out. Temptation is always to retreat, but because of their faith, Paul says, the Philippians are like stars. You realize stars give light? Stars give direction? Stars show that there's something beyond our little existence? And we're the same way. But you realize that light only helps the darkness when it touches it. Light gets washed out when it just shines where there's light and light and light all over the place. One of the reasons I celebrate with what Brent and Jill are doing is they say, you know what, we're going to try to go reach folks where there is darkness. God has called us to go and be light, wherever that may be, and that's what we're going to do. And there's Sam. Hey, buddy. Awesome. Light only helps darkness when it touches it. If we just huddle up, And we just say, please don't touch us, world. Please don't bother us. Don't change anything. Make it okay for us to believe what we want to believe. We're missing the mission of Jesus, to go and to touch the darkness. He says in verse 16, as you go, hold firmly to the message of life. Some of your versions say, hold out, hold forth the message, the word of life. The hope for the world isn't for them to join a local church. I'd love it if everybody in Callaway County joined Elm Grove. It'd be great. I think they'd have a blast. I think they'd love you and you'd love them right back. But you realize the hope for Callaway County is not that people join the church. The hope for Callaway County in our world is that they hear and believe the message of life. The message of Jesus Christ, that we were created perfect and that we as humans sinned and now we're born with it. And apart from forgiveness and cleansing and new life, new birth, then we are dead, the Bible says, in our sins and will be forever dead in hell. But the good news is that Jesus lived a perfect life because we could not. He died a death that we deserved and he was raised again to promise new life to all who will believe. That's the message that they need to hear. Not come join our church. Unfortunately, it's not good enough to just invite people to church, though I hope you will. Unfortunately, it's not good enough just to be friendly at church, though I'm so proud that we are. Unfortunately, it's not good enough just for us to want the church to keep growing. That all should be part of it, but our focus has to shift from getting the house in order and just hoping to have a few guests each week, from that to getting the house in order and then getting out of the house to work to see the kingdom of God grow, regardless of whether guests come to our house or not. And that's tough. Because trust me, as a pastor, when it rains or snows or ices on Sunday morning, you know what my first thought is? Nobody's going to be there. Hard not to take that personally, isn't it? When attendance maybe isn't what we want or giving isn't what we want, well... I guess we need to do something a little different. Let's just refocus. Let's make sure our focus is the kingdom of God. And we as Elm Grove, regardless of what God wants to do here, we're being used by him to touch a dark world with the message of life. Those guys from Kentucky had to get on board with whatever John Calipari was telling them. And lo and behold, he was right. It worked. They played up to their potential. They proved to everybody that they're actually a good team. They had to get on board with what the coach said. Here's what's got to happen in you and through you. Now go execute. This morning, I'm not the coach. Just a messenger. I'm just writing on the chalkboard. The coach is Jesus Christ. He's given us the message. Don't listen to me. Listen to him. And I wonder this morning, will you commit, will you make a commitment to say, Lord, whatever you want to do in and through me and us together, Lord, whatever you want to do in and through us, that's what we'll do. We'll get the house in order. Lord, I'm going to commit that I'm going to give up my spiritual gift of criticism. I'm going to stop grumbling and stop complaining. And, and Lord, I'm going to get on board with what you want to do in and through me and I'll be light that touches darkness. All of that starts with receiving and believing the message of Jesus Christ. Don't just be a better church member. Don't be a better church member. Love Jesus more. Love him more. Get up every day and say, Lord, empty me of myself and fill me with you. Don't be a better church member. Love Jesus. All the rest of it will take care of itself. I'm convinced of that. Convinced. Some have asked why there's not a huge push at the end of every sermon to get people to join the church. And maybe I'm too far on the other side. I don't know. I'm growing and learning too. I don't want you convinced that just joining this church is the answer. I want you convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer. And if the Lord prompts you and says, you know what, you need to join that church and partner with them in the mission that I've got, then do it. And if not, then don't. But regardless, the call is to love Jesus. And so this morning, just a simple question. Are you on board with what God wants to do in and through you and us? In just a moment, we will stand and we'll sing I Surrender All. The song was chosen for a reason because that's truly the call this morning. Will you surrender all to the Lord? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. We'll sing that. We'll sing it through. If you'd like to come and pray, you want me to pray for you, you'd like to talk about church membership, whatever. There'll be a couple of deacons standing down here to pray with folks as well. If, if, if you need that, then do so. But answer God's call this morning to commit to Him in whatever way that He's put on your heart. After we sing that, we'll have a seat and we'll ask Brent and Jill to come and we'll just pray for them and then we'll be dismissed to go and eat. But in these closing moments, don't miss what God has put on your heart. Let's pray together if you would. Lord, I believe you've spoken to us this morning and we ask that you would give us the courage to respond individually for those who need to surrender their lives to Jesus for the very first time, for those who simply need to say, Lord, I need to get on board with what you want to do in me and through me, and Lord, for those who say, you know what, I, for one, I'll commit here at Elm Grove to being on board with whatever God wants to do in and through us. Lord, help us to make those commitments today. Help us to surrender all to you. In Jesus' name.